0: Welcome to the Green Edge podcast with Michael Cross and me, Fraser Harper. This is our weekly update for the week ending 26th of May 2023. This week's Green Edge post is called Tweaking the Green, and in it we're asking questions about the extent to which green skills need to be built through training and qualifications. As opposed to being acquired through practice, experience, or simply the need to get the green job done. Michael, what is your as ever considered opinion?
1: Well, there's a question around does the lack of qualifications or the lack of people going through programs that lead to qualifications holding back the green economy? One could argue, and I think the evidence is there, that people are entering green jobs, and I'm meaning wholly green jobs with a lot of green tasks, from existing hosts that are highly related. And so they're carrying into those roles, invariably, a STEM set of skills and knowledge and experiences. So you've got that science and technology background, the engineering background, those are fundamental building blocks onto which other things will be grafted. We've also started to invent a language, for example, around the use of hydrogen being miraculously green. Hydrogen has been on the planet Earth for quite some time and been a key part of the chemical industry for a very long time, as has some ammonia, as a storage system. And therefore, the skills to make that, store it and move it have been around a long time. They're now getting a green tinge. If we move into some specific areas, for example, doing home energy assessments, those skills have been around a long time. Lots of talk about heat pumps. Heat pumps go back remarkably a long way. And yes, the numbers of people who've been trained in installing heat pumps is probably not sufficient to meet our numbers in the short term, but they are skills that can be acquired relatively speaking quite quickly. The complexity, I think, is the integration of that as a component to a whole building energy system and actually making the right decisions around the nature of the heat pump you should be installing, i.e. scale more than anything else. So I think, yes, there is a training issue. Yes, there is a qualifications issue. But a lot of people can do a lot of the green jobs, relatively speaking, quite quickly.
0: Well, I think there's little doubt that across the world of work, skill changes are happening quite rapidly. And one way of keeping pace in education and training terms, at least, is through micro credentials.
1: It's interesting. We looked at some work done using LinkedIn data, and they were looking at the rate at which skills were changing in a number of sectors. And one of the sectors they chose was construction. And they looked over the time period 2015 to 2021 and found something of the order of 25% of the skills had turned over in that period of time, and additional new things were coming in. Now, in many cases, people might have gone out to do short courses, but in many cases, skill tradespeople and professionals in these, like architects, surveyors and the like, and engineers, are updating themselves daily through short bursts of teaching themselves, finding manuals, toolkits, going on new software package training courses and the like. And so those people are growing their skills bells for themselves around the micro-credentials they want to define that will help them solve a problem. And so micro-credentials are innately a part of the way we all learn, little by little by little. And yes, I think there's a need in the over-education and training world to have micro-credentials that are stackable and people can put them together over a period of time to rapidly acquire and become proficient in performing certain duties. So I think there's a real role there. And we see the accreditation of micro-credentials for online learning, increasingly for technical courses, fairly short, sharp ones which are certified and have qualifications attached to them.
0: Well, learning through necessity was ever thus, wasn't it? I mentioned in one of our previous podcasts about when the first Commodore pet turned up in our office when I was a young engineer. We just had to figure it out for ourselves. You know, I can remember how proud I was when I got the first sine wave out of it. And a reminder that you can find this week's post on greenedge.substack.com. And you can also find this podcast on all the major streaming platforms, including Apple, Google, and Amazon. Staying with the subject of qualifications, we're returning to our post and podcast last week in which we featured a conversation with Katie Coburn, who is the Professional Services Director at the Chartered Institution for Wastes Management. During our chat with Katie, we got onto the subject of the English Apprenticeship System. And in the course of writing The Green Edge, we've talked to quite a few people who have told us their views on the apprenticeship process, the levy and the IFATE standards themselves. We've heard them described in various ways, including monolithic, expensive to run, and overly focused on endpoint assessments. Now, we talked to Katie in particular last week about the Level 2 Waste Resource Operative qualification, and you can read in the post about the issues that a number of people taking that particular standard have with the endpoint assessments. But this is what Katie had to say on the subject of funding apprenticeships like this.
2: The challenge we have in our sector with apprenticeships is they're great for your level three, level four, level five, seven roles. What was brilliant about train to gain funding back in the day was that you could provide level two qualifications to individuals who perhaps had never received a level two, you know, never received their GCSEs. and You'd build this baseline competence across the sector on the basis of those level two qualifications. Those are not being funded by employers. They used to be funded by adult education budget. And now we're expected to fund apprenticeships. The problem where you have a sector that struggles to recruit school leaver age people is that you're effectively using your apprenticeship levy budget to fund the training of people who are on full adult salaries, not apprentice salaries. And so the requirement to have 20% off the job training makes it particularly challenging and expensive because you have to backfill a fully paid person with another fully paid person. Whereas in sectors where they attract a high school-leaver population, they're paying an apprentice salary and it is actually much less costly to backfill that role for 20% of the -the off-the-job time. And so what we're finding is the Waste and Resource Operative Apprenticeship, which is built specifically for our sector and delivers all of the knowledge, skills and behaviours we would want to see in in an an apprentice, is a really expensive one to deliver.
0: Michael, do you think IFATE and DFE are listening to problems like this?
1: I am sure iFate are listening. I think they all have got large ears. I think they seem to be a bit restricted in what they can do some days in terms of responding to what they might hear. Because if you take level two that Katie was talking about, this is a critical bridging qualification to allow people to enter into basic occupations and start to build a career in a new area, therefore make a transition but also build a base to actually move on into level three and level four qualifications around the apprenticeships. And to some extent, the level twos have suffered because of the success of the overall apprenticeship move, as that has taken the lion's share of the funding. And therefore, level twos are not badged invariably as apprenticeships, so we'll miss out on some of the largesse of the levy fund, funds apprenticeships. I think it's a crying shame. And if you go through some work that the Chartered Institute have done, you'll find that Level 2 features quite strongly in their claim to actually make some changes here, please. And this is a comment you will hear quite widely on the whole retrofit world as well.
0: And I suppose, Michael, I should make an apology on your behalf to anybody in IFATE who takes offence at the comment you made about them having big ears. We we didn't really mean you have physically big ears, IFATE. Michael, tell us about what you've been seeing recently.
1: One document that fell into our laps was from the Regulatory Assistance Project. And it was a document called Policies for On-Site, On-Road, On grid distributed energy resource integration. It sounds very dry. It sounds esoteric. It is all about the flow of energy, not only into buildings, but out of buildings that you might be storing. So we have this dynamic balance going on of where energy can be scavenged and used far more efficiently. It also highlights a point for me that whilst we chase supply side on the green side, we can actually improve the whole nature of demand management and use points of consumption as points of supply because they've got storage capacity and generating capacity. And this document, it's only a shortish one, it's only 14 to 15 pages long, but is again typical of RAP's Really high quality, well thought through, and well researched material. And it is a joy to read this material because if you're wanting to understand the domestic side of this amongst much wider issues on the Green Front, I would suggest you turn to their pages. Not the zappiest of titles for an organization, but I think it is one that stands them in great stead because they contribute to this debate in this country through a number of key individuals.
0: The title sounds almost longer than the document itself.
1: It does, it does, yes. And they've got pictures in it as well.
0: Oh, good. I like pictures. Now, a date for the diary?
1: Well, those of us interested in reusing and repurposing what we have around our homes and we we touch at work, there is actually recycling week coming up in October. Just warning you ahead of time. I think the dates are the 16th to 22nd of October, but I hope they coincide with National Careers Week and the overlap with National Green Careers Week as well because I think there's a natural synergy there.
0: Okay, that's on the calendar.
1: What else have you seen? Another thing that crossed our desks over the last few days is the whole concept of climate passports. Now, this is doing the rounds in a series of German documents coming from policy think tanks and others about the idea of sharing skills and sharing demand for work. There are invariably a surplus of people with talents around the world and we have large demands in a number of Western countries. And one of the ideas is to match those two groups of people, or do the demand and the supply, and also to skill them up. And therefore, they could return home with the green skills to help their economies adjust. Now, the concept also with the climate passport, it is part of repaying the debt to a lot of the world where Western countries have, in fact, damaged the world's climate. So they're saying to countries that have not damaged the world's climate, we will help you skill up and provide passports and work permits for your citizens to come to our country, contribute to solving this problem that's affecting you and take those skills back home. Now it would be interesting to see if this concept gets traction, but generally I find with a number of the German institutes, they tend not to float these ideas unless they've had tacit approval from a number of senior German politicians. And therefore that will come into European thinking as well in time, but we'll track that to see what legs it really has. Thank you
0: for listening to this Green Edge podcast. This podcast series accompanies the Green Edge newsletter, to which you can subscribe at greenedge.substack.com. The Green Edge is produced by Blue Mirror Insights.